If we could have a cup of coffee together, six feet apart, of course, and just catch up friend to friend, I would really like to do that. And I would love to ask you a couple of questions. First, I would ask, how are you doing? I mean, really, how are you doing right now? And maybe the second question is the more important one. And I would ask you, how are you experiencing God in this season right now? As you well know, because I know it, we're all over the place mentally and emotionally these days. One day, life is great. God is good. You're making lists and getting things done. You're feeling good about yourself. You know, it was the day when the kids were getting their online schoolwork done without you constantly nagging. It's as if all the stars were aligned perfectly and shining brightly on you. And you went to bed that night, and as you laid your head down to go to sleep, you had a deep sense of gratitude to God. And then you woke up. And with the new day, it looked nothing like what took place yesterday. In fact, it was, you know, it's the complete opposite. It was an emotional roller coaster for you that you wish you could have gotten off of, but the car just never seemed to slow down enough for you to bail. And as you laid your head down that night, you couldn't help but wonder, and, and maybe it kept you from even going to sleep. You were just wondering, where was God today? Or maybe the better question is, is where did I go today? Look, you don't have to be a genius to know that that is life right now. And while there's incredible amounts of beauty and joy, there's also so much disappointment, so much frustration and loss. You know, and, and we're thrust into a time in a place like this. It's a time for many of panic, and it's a time of pandemic. And it just seems like the stakes are so much higher than ever before because you and I were created by God fundamentally to flourish. Everything about us is wired for resilience and freedom and for love and joy and for community and creativity. And what we're experiencing now is traumatic. And I don't use that word lightly. And so let's be honest, since we're talking as friends today, some of us were on a path toward burnout long before the coronavirus came along. I mean, we're watching now traumatic news events. We're engaging in arguments in social media. We're listening to people tell heartbreaking stories, and it all just takes a toll on us. It can be exhausting, and it affects us deeply at the, at the soul level in ways that we haven't yet fully understood, especially especially for those of us who haven't figured out how to unpack our mental bags and surrender all of this stuff to Jesus. I mean, your soul is too small to bear the full weight of all that's happening around you because God never, ever intended you to. 
I mean, this is just my opinion, but the full effect of us collectively, I think, is coming yet. Maybe six or nine or 12 months down the road, for sure. That's when all of this stuff is really going to come spilling out. And you don't have to take my word for it. The research that's coming out right now is very concerning when it comes to what it suggests about the condition of our inner life, the condition of our souls. According to some new studies from San Diego State University and Florida State University, more than 25% of of 2,000 participants met the criteria that psychologists use to diagnose serious mental distress. I mean, this is a 700% increase compared to the data that they had collected from 2018. Last month, about 70% of Americans experienced moderate to severe mental distress. Dr. Jean Twenge, a professor of psychology, gets right to the point of this study, and she says this, this data shouldn't come as a shock. She says, in some ways, this is the perfect storm for mental health issues. We're dealing with social isolation, anxiety around health, and economic problems. All of these things are linked to mental health, and these things are hitting us all at the same time. And as if that weren't enough, more Americans are turning to their medical professionals for help, which is a good thing. And a recent study, though, shows that new prescriptions for the treatment of anxiety rose 34% from mid-February to mid-March. And that wouldn't be such a big deal, except for the last year, that prescription, had, that prescription tread had been on the decline by 12%. So that's a 30 Uh, 34 plus 12 is a 46% swing in a year. But in case you missed it the first time I said it, Jesus is the only one who can bear the full weight of the burdens that you're carrying today. He's the only one who loves you enough to deal with that baggage that you insist on carrying around if you're willing to let go of it. And if I have any part to play in this for you, my prayer is that that I can just help you get started. I want to give you, I hope, some simple things that you can implement today and begin to experience healing tomorrow. And what I want to do is take a look at the mind of the Apostle Paul. Because if there was anybody who knew anything at all about what it was like to battle the thought demons that came up in his mind, Paul is that guy. If you read some of the early writings of Paul, sometimes it sounds like he's a little bit crazy, which is really kind of encouraging to me because sometimes I feel a little crazy in my mind too. You know what I mean? I mean, one time Paul wrote these words. He said, the things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. Who can help me? Who can deliver me from this body of death, Paul says. And he battled again and again and again in his mind. He fought, he labored, and he won. He never gave up, even 
even when he was actually locked up as a prisoner in a Roman cell, he never gave up. And he could, from a prison cell in Rome, write these words and say things like this, whatever is pure, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, put these things into practice. And that's what I hope you and I will do starting today. I hope we can learn together from Paul to discipline our minds. Because, let's, let's face it, Paul wasn't perfect. Paul didn't have everything figured out. He didn't. He was a human being, just as human as you and I are. But Paul learned to discipline his mind. And he is telling us, God is telling us through the Apostle Paul, to put these things into practice. And God promises, in God's word, God promises that when we discipline our minds, the peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. I mean, isn't that really what we are looking for today? Isn't the peace of God what we most need? Don't you want to be able to pray as David did in Psalm 139, where he says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And when God does search you, he sees your heart and he knows the thoughts in your mind and he loves you enough to lead you into that abundant life, into that everlasting way that Jesus promises, not overlooking your anxiety, not dismissing your anxiety or your worry or your fear, but because of it. He leads you through it because of it. That's what God does because that's who God is. Somebody really needs to say amen in the comments right now because that's some great news. And one of the more compelling passages that Paul has, has written that we have available to us is found in this letter to the church in Corinth. It's the second one. So we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 today. And Paul talks us through how he disciplines his mind. And here's what Paul says. For though we live in the body... We do not wage war in an unspiritual way, since the weapons of our warfare are not worldly, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. So let's unpack that for a moment. Paul recognizes that even though, yes, we have physical bodies, there is a spiritual, a soulful part to us. And so there is a war, there is a battle that is happening that is not physical. Paul says it's spiritual. And every one of us is fighting in this battle with weapons that aren't physical. 
but they're powerful spiritual weapons that God uses to demolish strongholds. So what's a stronghold? It's not a word that we use very often, but a stronghold, right, is a fortified prison. You know, think Alcatraz or Azkaban for you Harry Potter fans. If you are in a stronghold, it means you are a prisoner in a fortified prison. And in this passage, Paul is, he, he, he's relating this to a spiritual battle. And he's saying, you, we all are spiritual prisoners. To whom? Who are we, who are we imprisoned by? There is an enemy, and the enemy is very real. And Paul is saying, you are a prisoner locked in by a spiritual enemy. And you are locked in by lies. You are being deceived you are not being told the truth about who God is and who he made you to be. You've believed lies that have put you in this prison. And what does the enemy do? The enemy tries to shape our thinking one lie at a time so that we're in this prison believing something that simply is not true. So what do we do when we're trapped in a lie then? We keep reading because God says to us that we crush, we destroy, we demolish arguments and every high-minded thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive to obey Christ. So anything that is not from God, we crush it with God's truth. How do we do that? By taking captive every single thought and making it obedient to Jesus. Who's the prisoner here? Who's the prisoner? You or your thoughts? Are you captive to your own toxic thoughts? Or are you taking your thoughts prisoner and submitting them to the lordship of Jesus Christ? Because your mind is valuable real estate. And there's a struggle there's a struggle that's happening between God's truth about you and Satan's lies to you. Your thoughts matter to God. What you think about your spouse matters. What you think about your coworkers, what you think about your church, what you think about God, what you think about how your kids are, what you think about that person on Facebook who had some words to say to you that they didn't agree with you about how we need to be handling ourselves in this time of pandemic. Your thoughts, whatever it is, fill in the blank, matter to God. And so, let me just ask you, are you excited about where your thoughts are taking you? Are you excited about that? If you asked me a couple of months ago, I'm fairly confident that my answer would have been no. I was not. It seems like um, a really long time ago, now, but on November 17th, 2019, I know that date because I wrote it down, I was struck by a different kind of peace that Jesus was offering me. And I came across this when I was reading God's word. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he said to them, he said, peace I leave with you. 
My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You might want to insert mind. Do not let your mind be troubled, Josh. I mean, there was so much for me to be thankful for, but I knew that Jesus in that moment was inviting me into something new. I was worn out. 2019 was not a banner year for me for reasons that I can't get into, but I was feeling tired, and I was, I was feeling tired of feeling tired, you know? That a situation I was facing that whole year was not, it was not going to end well. It wasn't headed in a direction that I had hoped. And I was frustrated with people I loved. I was discouraged with the quality at home of the relationships that I had with my wife and my kids too. I was convinced that there were just too many distractions in my life getting in the way of experiencing this peace that I believe Jesus is offering me and he's offering to you. And truth be told, I was a prisoner. I was a prisoner to a lie. A lot of lies, actually, but, but one in particular that I believed was this. I just believed that things were going to get okay. Things were going to be okay if I just kept going. Just keep going, Josh. Don't stop. Just keep going. Keep plugging away. It will get better. So what did I do? Well, I prayerfully made a short list of all the things Jesus was showing me that was preventing me from experiencing that peace of mind that he was offering to me. And this sounds really dumb to say this now, um, but the one thing I chose of the things that I wrote down that day, the one thing that I chose was the thing that would require, I thought, the least amount of effort and energy. I mean, this was bottom drawer stuff I'm talking about. This was the lowest possible hanging fruit I could think of. And by the way, I didn't tell a single soul about what I was doing. I didn't tell anyone about this list. I didn't tell anyone about what I thought Jesus was saying to me. And I can't say if this was the right call or not, but I, I didn't even tell my wife at this point about what God had been showing me um, at that time. And here's what I wrote down in my journal dated November 25th. And I'll just bullet point this for you. And there's a number of things here. Again, super simple, bottom drawer. But here's what I wrote down. My phone, my phone, my phone will go on airplane mode at 9 p.m. every night. I will not touch my phone until 8 a.m. the next morning. I will turn my phone on airplane mode one hour a day and one day a week. And when I wake up at 5.30 in the morning, my morning routine will consist of this. I wrote out my morning routine. It will consist of first drinking eight ounces of water to rehydrate, read 20 minutes from one of my books, and drink a cup of coffee, and then switch to scripture and read one chapter of scripture, and write in my journal. And when I go to bed at night, I will charge my phone on my dresser in airplane mode. I will limit 
my social media activity to 15 minutes a day. I will parent my phone. I will not let my phone parent or dictate or rule my life. I will wake up before my phone does and my phone will go to sleep before I do. Again, there is nothing, nothing but simple, low-hanging fruit that I wrote down in this entry. And do I do it perfectly? No. I don't. Because my walk with Jesus doesn't depend on my performance. But this new rhythm that I have has helped more than I thought it possibly would. Again, I was going for low energy and low fruit here. I still have a long way to go in terms of letting God renew my mind, replacing lies with truth, but this has helped me. And I'm experiencing victory in my thought life because of a decision, a simple decision to stop believing the lie that I just had to keep going, that it was going to be okay if I just kept going. So never underestimate the impact of a small thing. And what I thought was the lowest hanging fruit actually has turned out to be one of the most challenging decisions I've made in the last six months. But it has also been, and this should come as no surprise, one of the most freeing decisions I've made in the last six months. Because I'm no longer a prisoner to my phone. So what is the number one lie? What is the stronghold that's holding you back. It's so important to identify the lie you're tempted to believe because whatever you have thought, your brain is literally redesigning itself around that thought. There's a constant changing that's happening in the chemical makeup of your brain moment by moment. Every single thought that you think creates a biological change in your body. This is called neuroplasticity, and it's being studied in greater depths these days by neuroscientists all around the world. And the, and the results are fascinating. It shows just how much our brains can change and just how much our thoughts rule our brains and our body. So if you think a positive thought, your body rewards you with a legal drug called dopamine. It gives you a legal buzz. It's a little hit that makes you feel good. You know that feeling. You know it when you hear some good news, dopamine. When someone likes or comments on your Instagram post, dopamine. When my wife says to me, oh, honey, you're looking really good today. Dopamine, dopamine, dopamine. It's a little chemical that makes you feel really good and your brain responds with, let's think that thought again. That feels really nice. Dopamine also partially explains why addictive behaviors are, well, why they're addictive. So what happens is, the more you think a thought, the more you're creating what scientists call a neural pathway in your brain. Your brain creates a path, kind of like if I were to walk 
in my yard nonstop in a circle. I would be creating a path in my yard or on the grass. And so your brain creates a path. And so the more I walk this path in the same place, the deeper the path gets and the easier it is for me to travel across the grass. The more you think a thought then, the easier it is to think that thought again. In fact, if you think a thought enough over time, that thought becomes a default thought pattern in your brain. If you tell yourself, you don't have enough, I don't have enough, over and over and over again, you create a pathway where it becomes easier for you to think that you're never, ever going to have enough, rather than believing that you live life. When you live life with God, you have everything that you need. So whatever that thought is, whether it's you don't have enough or you feel that you are unworthy or you are unloved, the more you think those thoughts, the easier and the deeper that neural pathway gets. And so in order to change your thinking, you have to change the pathway that you travel on or the pathway that your thoughts travel on. For example, if I have nothing but a negative path, I have to stop and say, wait, that's not helpful. That thought is not productive and it is not from God. Therefore, I'm going to capture this thought I'm going to label it for what it is, and I'm going to choose a different thought. I'm choosing to walk this way toward a different thought. I am creating a new pathway. And if you continue to travel in an unhealthy pathway, the path, right, it stays clear, and it's easier to travel. But if you choose to stay off the unhealthy pathway, over time, what happens? That grass it begins to grow back up. And it's not as easy to travel on, and, and it's certainly not as appealing as the new pathway that you're currently traveling on. And so you create new pathways with new God-honoring thoughts. And do this consistently over time. The God truth becomes the default instead of the lie becoming the default. And I hope that makes sense. I hope I explained that well. So let me give you an example. If you have a frustrating day at work and you come home and there's chaos everywhere. I have four kids. I know what that's like to come home to chaos. And kids are running and screaming and your wife is frustrated. She's fragile. She's making dinner, but she can't because there's so much chaos around you. And then you look around the room and, and you just say to yourself, okay, I'm going to yell at them. I'm going to yell at my kids. And so every day when you come home, and, and there's chaos in the home, you yell. You're creating a pathway that says, when I come home and there's chaos, I'm going to yell. And so what you have to do is you have to capture that thought. And you have to label it. And you have to say that that is not a healthy, God-honoring thought. And then choose a new path. And it might be, well, as simple as, something like stopping and, and counting to 10 and then turning to your wife and, and greeting her in the kitchen. Or maybe you need to count to 500. I don't know what that is for you. Or, or you pray a, pray a prayer. 
and you walk in and, and you hug your spouse and, and you embrace your kids no matter what kind of chaos is happening around you, you are creating a new pathway. Or here's a ridiculously simple tool that you can download and start using today. Turn on your smartphone, or if you are watching on your phone right now, download this app when we are done today. Open up the App Store and download the One Minute Pause app. It looks like this on the screen. And when you open it, you're going to want to create a profile and turn on the daily reminders. This is one tool that I have been using for six weeks now. And once or twice a day, that app reminds me to stop, to pause for a minute or more, and to redirect my attention to Jesus. This app has become a COVID lifesaver for me, and I recommend it to my friends all the time. In fact, no joke, I got a text message from a friend this week who was saying how much he appreciates what this app has done for him in this time. Or maybe like me and millions of other people around the world, um, you have an addiction to your smartphone. Um, and we need to create some healthy space and some firmer boundaries with our phones and parent our phones better than what we were doing before. Again, there's nothing magical here. This is ridiculously simple and practical, but I just want to invite you right now to get your phone, and if you didn't already get it, and, and, and turn it on, open it up, and let's just do this, just do this with me right now. I just want you to, I just want you to delete, uninstall all of your social media apps for a week. Let's just do that. Whatever it is, doesn't matter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, just, just get rid of it. Uninstall it for a week. And so here's Facebook. No, well, let's start, let's start with something a little easier because I'm not sure I'm ready for that yet. Um, Snapchat. I don't even know why I have Snapchat. My kids use it. But I'm just going to hold my finger on there. I'm going to drag to uninstall. Just like that. Okay. Yes, I want to uninstall. Oh, let's do it again. That was kind of fun. Let's do it again. Pick another one. I don't have Twitter. I got off Twitter a long time ago. How about Facebook? Facebook. And trashed. Just like that. So for you, what is that? Is it Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, TikTok? Is it a game? What is that stronghold for you that is feeding the lies of the enemy, and it's preventing you from experiencing the reality of the truth that, that God has for you. If you're really feeling up to it, try a month. Go without social media on your phone for a month and just see what that does for your mental well-being. Or maybe, maybe if you need a break from your smartphone, like a real break, you can, you can get a hammer and you can get your phone and you can just really break it up. Just take a real break from it. I mean, this is just a phone. And what we're talking about here today, we're talking about your soul. We're talking about your mind. And God loves you and he wants what's best for you.
And so we shouldn't let things like this prevent us from positioning ourselves, right, to experiencing the very best that God has for us in Jesus. So I'll let you get over your little mini heart attack there because I just broke my phone. Clean up, clean up in aisle one. Um, so, so go without social media for a week or, or for a month or take a break from your phone. At the very least, limit your social media consumption um, to, say, less than an hour a day or whatever it is for you. I mean, there's so much research that's coming out these days about the effects that social media has on our minds, and it's fascinating that it all points in the same direction. The more time you spend on your phone scrolling, the more anxious, worried, upset, angry, depressed, and lonely you're likely to be. That's just one, one practical thing you can do. So whenever your mind says, now I am going to blow it, I'm not good enough at this. I mess everything up. My mind, uh, nothing ever goes my way. I am not loved. God hates me. I don't have any friends. Whatever or wherever your mind is going, you say to yourself, I am not going to travel down that road anymore. And I'm going to capture those thoughts. They are not healthy. They are not productive. They are not lifting my spirit. And I'm choosing a different path. I love what Pastor Brandon Cook um, has written in his wonderful book called Learning to Live in Love Like Jesus. I love what he has to say about this, and he says it so well. After a while, with practice, you can get really good at labeling your thoughts. You can learn to laugh at your dark side and your thoughts because you know that they aren't really who you are. And as we do this, we start to become more and more aware of the yes that Jesus, who knows all the things we've screwed up, speaks to the core of our being. As we do this, as we put these things into practice, we become more and more aware of the yes that Jesus speaks to the core of our being. More on that in just a moment. So how does God change our lives? He does it by changing our thinking and renewing our minds with the truth of his word day by day by day. So whatever it is that is imprisoning you today, name it, label it, tell God what it is because you cannot defeat what you cannot define. So give it a name. Say it out loud that this is a lie from the enemy and it has kept me imprisoned. And rather giving any more attention to this lie, I am bringing this thought, I am bringing this lie to Jesus to let him cover it with the truth of his word. Which brings me to the last application point as we close. If you're not familiar with God's word or the promises of God in his word, today is a great day for you to start reading your Bible. Let today be the day when you stop believing the lie that you can't read the Bible, that you can't understand it, or that I have to somehow tell you what God's word says and what it means and what you should do with it, or whatever it is that you think 
you believe about God's word. Let today be the first day that you walk with God in his truth because the more that you take in about what God says about you, the more you believe it. And the easier it is to create that God-honoring pathway in your mind. This is what my God says. Therefore, right, I will embrace it. The more I walk in God's truth, the more I believe it. The more he renews my mind, the more he changes my thinking. And the more I'm able to walk by faith and not by sight. And the more the Spirit then leads me and guides me. And the more his word directs me and more of his power flows through me to do what he has called me to do so that I can go out into this world and tell people about this great love that God has for them. What comes in to your mind comes out in your life. So we identify the lie, we capture the wrong thoughts, and we make them obedient to the truth found in Christ. And he, he is the one who will set you free. Why be a prisoner of your own thoughts when Jesus has opened the door for you? The truth will set you free. So Father, we pray today that you would do some free setting. Set us free, God, with your truth. Help me to bring my thoughts, every thought, under the truth of your word and to take it captive and make it obedient to your son, Jesus. And I pray, Father, again and again and again, this week, every week, that the moment the lie starts to show its ugly self, that we, that I would recognize it and we would name it. We'd put a label on it and say, no, that is not from God that's the wrong path. I'm choosing a different road. I'm choosing to walk in God's truth. So God, remind us again and again and again of your promises and, and who we are and what we are called to do. And I know that this can take weeks. I know that this can take months. This takes help. And this can take years to create this kind of faith that is deeply rooted in your truth. So help us to walk in your truth day by day, that we could honor you with this one life that we have. And so we ask, Father, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit to live our best lives with the joy and the peace of Jesus. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.